1 Samuel chapter 25. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to get into your word this morning. God, we quiet our hearts. We ask to hear your voice, that you would encourage us, that you would instruct us. You'd help us to see more of Jesus. Jesus, thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving your life. Father, thank you for giving your only begotten son, your beloved son. I pray everyone would feel your love this morning, the manifestation of your presence. Give us ears to hear and hearts to understand. In Jesus' name, amen. A really close call. It was probably about six weeks ago, and I get a phone call from my wife, Amber, and she says we had a really close call. She was in the minivan with our four children. She was crossing Academy Boulevard to take a left and go, go north. The light was green, and she was coming out into the intersection, waiting for a car to cross over on her left. And then all of a sudden, here comes a vehicle speeding, going 50 to 60 miles an hour on Academy, totally misses the light, totally misses the red light, doesn't slow down, doesn't see it, and literally inches comes in front of our minivan and also just barely misses the car coming across the intersection. Just seconds, just seconds away from coming into the side of the minivan, and who knows what happens at that point. Amber's shook up, I'm a little bit shook up, and we go, whew, praise the Lord, that was a really, really close call. What we find for David in his life in chapter 25 is this is a really, really close call. He is just about to make the mistake of his life, the catastrophe of his life. If it wasn't for this godly woman, Abigail, who comes and speaks truth to him, David's in this place of anger and revenge to the place where he almost commits mass murder. He almost goes and kills Nabal and his whole entire household. I think there's a lot of things for us to learn in this passage to avoid some huge catastrophes in our lives as well. So verse 1 of chapter 25, Then Samuel died. And the Israelites gathered together and lamented for him and buried him at his home in Ramah. And David arose and went to the wilderness of Paran. Samuel dies, such an important character and figure in this story, a man who loved the Lord, who heard God's voice. But notice how briefly God describes his life and passing. If I were writing the scriptures, which I'm thankful I'm not, and you should be thankful I'm not as well, I would be tempted to really take some time to compliment Samuel at this place. There's not too many in the Old Testament that can stand up to the character of Samuel, but however, God doesn't do that. Throughout scripture, God doesn't focus on a man. He doesn't focus on a woman. He doesn't focus on, on a person. He focuses on his own glory. And God's never tied to or limited to one person. And as they pass away, his work continues to move forward. So Samuel has now passed. And very quickly, the narrative continues with the life of David. David goes down to the wilderness. If you remember in this season of David's life, he's on the run from Saul. Saul is trying to kill him. So he's inhabiting, living in the wilderness. In verse 2, now there was a man in Moan whose business was in Carmel, and the man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep 
and 3,000 goats, and he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. You measure wealth at this time by how much cattle that you have, and he's got 3,000 sheep, 3,000 goats. He's in northern Israel where Mount Carmel is. In verse 3, the name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife was Abigail, and she was a woman of good understanding and beautiful appearance, but the man was harsh and evil in his doings. He was of the house of Caleb. Quite a contrast in this couple. Abigail, her name means delight of the father. Isn't that a great name for a daughter? Great name for a little girl. She's the delight of her father. I think a lot of fathers definitely feel that way towards their daughters. I know that I sure do. However, Nabal, his name means fool. Literally in the Hebrew, his name means fool. I hope that this was a nickname for, for Nabal, that he was so foolish that finally they said, let's just call him out as it is. He's, he's a fool. But maybe when he was, was born, his parents looked at him and said, well, fool. He's a fool. I don't know. But how did he come up with this name? I'm not sure. But this was his name. Now, look at the way that they lived their lives. Abigail is a woman who was of good understanding. She was a woman of wisdom also a very beautiful in appearance. However, Nabal is evil and he's harsh. He's a man that nobody wants to be around. Nobody wants to spend time with. He's brutal to those that are around him. There's a few things that we're going to consider as we go through this passage. If you're taking notes, I know for me it's helpful to take notes to remember messages. If, if you've got your phone or your iPad or your Kindle, you can type it in. To, to, that's a great place to be able to keep notes. Write this down. Think it through. Wisdom and understanding is priceless. Wisdom and understanding is priceless. You can't put a price tag on wisdom. Abigail being a woman of wisdom is going to pay off in a great, great way. Her actions of wisdom is going to save David from a huge mistake. It also saves her husband's life, all of the males in her household. It, it saves their lives as well because she acted in wisdom. Also, when we choose not to walk in wisdom, that has a great price tag as well. The benefit of wisdom pays off hugely, but the lack of wisdom has a huge deficit. Proverbs really emphasizes wisdom for us. What is wisdom? Wisdom is knowledge applied. It's not enough to simply know, but then to take that knowledge and put it into practice, to take that knowledge and to apply it. Proverbs 3.13 says, happy is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. Proverbs 8.11, for wisdom is better than rubies and all the things one may desire cannot be compared with it. That's quite a statement. Wisdom is greater than everything that you, you desire. Wisdom is something that we should seek after, that we see the value in our lives, we want into to our lives. And you're saying, well, I'd sure like to try the richest portion. I know that God's word says that wisdom is better than riches, but man, give, give me a crack at a bunch of money. There's nothing inherently wrong with money. It's the love of money that's the root of all kind of evil. You can be wealthy and have wisdom as well, but to have wealth and not have wisdom is not going to result in anything better for your life. And you're saying, well, how do you, how do you know that? Look at the NFL. These guys make a lot of money, don't they? And a lot of those guys, their life is an absolute mess. Now, not all of them. There's believers. There's men of integrity inside of the NFL 
but there's men that are really struggling. And we're concerned with all of the concussions that take place in football. I think we should and try to make the sport more healthy. But you know what? There's another problem in the NFL and it's violence, it's crime, it's murder, it's abuse of their wives. We see football players committing murder. We see them beating up their wives, their girlfriends in elevators and these videos going throughout the United States, but they've got money. I'd like to try 19 million a year, you may be saying. You know, that, that would make my life a lot easier, not if you don't have wisdom. If you don't have wisdom, all the money in the world's not gonna make your life any better. And there's proof of that through our pro, pro sports. So here's the application. Here's the encouragement in your heart and your life is how do you seek after wisdom? How do you come to have this knowledge and be able to apply it in our lives? Proverbs says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, reverence of the Lord, awe of God. It's that teachable heart that allows us to gain a heart of wisdom. Friday was a big event in our city. Officer Swayze's memorial service had the privilege of being able to be there at New Life Church and, and attend that event. I was impacted. I, I was moved by his life, a believer, a pastor, the testimony of his wife as she came and shared, brought me to tears. It was, it was amazing. It was extremely powerful to see all of these police officers gathered from out, throughout our state and our country. There was police officers from New York, police officers from Illinois. And at that service, there was a great degree of reverence, as there should be. There was a silence in that service, and you could feel the reverence for his life, his sacrifice, for the police officer community, and that's God-given. Romans 13 tells us that police officers are ministers of God, authority that God has raised up for his purpose, and it reminded me of the kind of fear that we're to have for the Lord. When we talk about the fear of the fear of God, we have a hard time even having a way to understand that because we live in such a culture with a lack of reverence. Amen. Like we, we don't know what it is to reverence anything anymore. We don't we don't reverence our spouse in a good way. You know, we don't have the proper respect a lot of times of, of our spouses. We we it's completely gone in every little aspect. Kids growing up in our schools don't grow up with an attitude of reverence towards their teachers. That, that, that's completely gone. And so we try to make this correlation of how do I have reverence for God and it's hard for us to connect. And that was a moment, I go, there's a lot of reverence in this room. And that's the idea of our relationship with God where it brings us to a place of silence. It brings us to a place of awe. In a good way, it puts us in our place before a holy God. And when we adopt that attitude, then we become teachable. Then we become in that place where we can gain wisdom. Abigail's life is so impactful because she was a woman of wisdom. Let's go on into verse four. When David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep, David sent 10 young men, and David said to the young men, go up to Carmel, go to Nabal, and greet him in my name. So these 10 men are sent to give a message from David to Nabal. And thus you shall say to him who lives in prosperity, peace to you, peace to your house, and peace to all that you have. Now I have heard that you have shears. Your shepherds were with us, and we didn't hurt them, nor was there anything missing from them all the while they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we come on a feast day. Please give whatever comes to your hand to your servant and to your son, David. 
all of your herd, 6,000 of your herd was out in the wilderness. We watched over them. We protected them. We didn't allow any harm to come to your herd or to your men. So would you please grant us some provision in return? So when David's young men came, they spoke to Nabal according to all of these words in the name of David and waited. They're waiting for a response. Here's the response of Nabal. The Nabal answered David's servants and said, who is David and who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants nowadays who break away from each one of his masters. Then shall I then take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shears and give it to men who I didn't know where they are from? Why did David break away from Saul? Because Saul wanted to kill him. It's not what David intended. It's not what David wanted. But here's Nabal saying, you're just another rebel. You're just another renegade. What am I going to do? Provide for every person that breaks away from, from their master? And then notice David's response here. So David's young men turned on their heels and went back. And they came and told him all of these words. Then David said to his men, every man gird on his sword. So every man girded on his sword. And David also girded on his sword. And about 400 men went with David, and 200 stayed with the supplies. We don't see David praying. We don't see David pausing. We see David getting really angry. He's ticked off. He's quick to wrath. James 1 tells us, be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. That goes out the window here for David. He's saying, look, I, I protected you. I provided for you, so it would be right for you in return to give some provision to us. This was very customary at this time. Second thing to consider is after a great victory comes great temptation. After a great victory comes a great temptation. David did such a great job at not taking matters into his own hands with Saul. Remember last week in our Bible study, Saul comes into the cave that David is hiding to attend to his needs. David could easily have killed Saul, but what does he do? He comes and cuts a corner of Saul's robe for which he felt really bad, for which he felt convicted over. That was a great victory. There was so much more connected to killing Saul. There was so much more emotion. It was a lot more personal. David doesn't even know Nabal. David's a stranger to him, and here he doesn't receive any provision back for the work that he's done. He's ready to grab his sword and go attack Nabal and all of the men of Nabal's house. So here's the lesson for us. Maybe God allows you to have a great victory. You overcome some, some temptation. You say no to sin. You say no to taking things into your own hands. You're not overcome with evil. Well, look out. The little things will get us. Solomon put it this way in Song of Solomon, chapter 2. He said, the little foxes ruin the vines. Speaking of the grapevines and the harvest of the grapevines. And isn't it the little foxes that have the potential to bring the greatest destruction in our lives? God gives us the strength and the ability to say no to, to the big thing, the Saul in our life. But then here comes the Nabal. And we don't even stop to consider the kind of destruction that it can bring. It, it's the little foxes in our relationship with the Lord. It's, it's the little foxes in our, in our marriage, in our relationship with our kids. It's the little foxes in our finances. It's the, it's the little foxes in this church. You know, those little conversations 
that we think no one's listening and, and it doesn't make that big, big of a deal. It's those, those little attitudes. And that's where we get tested and that's where the temptation comes. And so be on guard. The, the temptation, the greatest temptation, maybe with the greatest destruction, is going to come on the heels of a great victory. What's Satan doing when there's a great victory in our lives? Is he going, woo! Awesome! Way to go! You stayed close to the Lord. You said no to sin. He's subtle, he's crafty, and he's going to bring it in another way. And you can see how, how David's at great danger at this point. Verse 14, Now one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, Look, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, and he reviled them. Why does the servant go to Abigail? Because he knows Abigail is a woman of wisdom. She's a woman of good understanding. She's going to know what to do in this catastrophe. So when people start to come to you with trouble, when they start to come to you with difficulty, that is proof that your life is starting to begin to resonate with godly wisdom. The servant goes to a good source here. But the men were very good to us, speaking of David's men. And we were not hurt, nor did we miss anything as long as we accompanied them. When we were in the fields, they were a wall to us, both by night and day. All the time we were kept, we were, all the time we were with them keeping the sheep. Now therefore know and consider what you will do. For harm is determined against our master and against all of his household. For he is such a scoundrel that no one can speak to him. <laughs> Oh, man, what a terrible reputation, right? Here's his servant that works for Nabal. He's like, he is just a real scoundrel. He is a real turkey. He won't listen to anybody. And is that your reputation? Is that my reputation? Is that our character that no one can speak into our lives? We may justify it with things like, well, I'm just a good leader, I'm a good leader at work and I know how to get things done and I have the right answer, so why would I ever need to listen to anybody? I'm productive. You might be productive, but also be a scoundrel, right? We may be a scoundrel. It's one of the greatest attributes in our lives to have the humility to allow people to be able to speak into our lives, to, to hear their instruction. And Nabal, he, he won't listen to anyone. Verse 18, then Abigail made haste and took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five sheep already dressed, five sheaves of roasted grain, a hundred clusters of raisins, and 200 cakes of figs and loaded them on donkeys. This shows just how wealthy Nabal and Abigail are. Also, it shows us what a big production this was to have the time of shearing and slaughtering of the sheep. All of these things appear to be on hand. It's already there. David sent his men at a time of a feast. Maybe somebody knocks on your door, a friend comes over, they got, got anything in your cupboards, and you, well, you caught us right before we go grocery shopping. We don't have too much. But if they came over on Thanksgiving, you'd have more than enough, wouldn't you? And this is Thanksgiving. This is their, their time of feast. There's a lot of food on hand. So she gathers it right away and she's going to go take this food to David. Abigail, in her wisdom, knew that it was the appropriate time to act. She had no time to waste. She had no time to wait. Men's lives were at stake. Her husband's life is at stake. David's reputation of taking things to his own hands is at stake. So she asks, acts. 
Church, I hope that when it's time for action, that we have the wisdom to know, I need to act. And when it's not time to act, that we would have the wisdom to say, nope, everybody else may be saying it's time to go. Because David, David, it's not time for him to act. But it's time for Abigail to act. When it is time, step up to that opportunity. Verse 19, and she said to her servants, go on before me, see I'm coming after you. But she didn't tell her husband Nabal. Great decision, why? Because Nabal's not a man of character. She's not trying to do anything secret behind his back. She's trying to save his life. She's going out to be his advocate. Now, maybe this is just me, but man, you gotta commend Abigail because she could have easily said, this would be a great time for my husband to get knocked off, right? (laughs) This guy's evil, he's harsh, he's a scoundrel. Nobody likes to, to deal with him, and I'm just gonna let this run its course, you know? It's so impressive to me that Abigail continued to walk with the Lord and grow in godly character even with an ungodly spouse who was difficult to be around. Because if you're tied to a Nabal in some area of your life, it's very easy to justify, well, there's no point in walking with the Lord. There's no point for for godly character. I've tried loving and serving my spouse. It hasn't changed them at all. I've tried loving and serving my boss, and he's a real Nabal. So, who cares if I lose my temper? Who cares if I walk, walk in wisdom, you know? Maybe you're, you're single and you go, you know, my parents, they just no respect there. They're foolish. They're harsh. So what's the point in me walking with the Lord? Maybe you're close with your brother, your sister, and they've long walked with the Lord. It's something in the distant past. You say, well, I'm, I'm just not going to do it. Maybe there's someone who was a close friend and they've stopped walking with the Lord. I'm sure Abigail had that temptation, don't you? I'm sure, what's the point? But she continued to walk with the Lord, even to the point of being the advocate for a hard-hearted husband. In verse 20, so it was as she rode on the donkey that she went down under cover of the hill, and there were David and his men coming toward her, and she met them. Her courage. She's headed into 400 men who were angry with their weapons, Now David had said, surely in vain I've protected all that this fellow has in the wilderness so that nothing was missed of all that belongs to him and he has repaid me evil for good. David's clearly hot. He's clearly angry as he begins to address Abigail. May God do so and more also to the enemies of David if I leave one male of all who belong to him by morning light. David clearly expresses his intent saying, I'm going to kill Nabal, and I'm going to kill all of his male servants. Now, is this justice? Nabal didn't provide the provision that was appropriate with the protection. So what does David do? I'm going to kill you. The law, the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, does give clearly the guidelines for capital punishment. If someone takes someone else's life, then they're to lose their life in return. That's because God values human life. Nabal didn't take anybody's life. He shouldn't die. This should be addressed, but this is not worthy of someone dying over. And David wants to kill Nabal, not just Nabal, but all of these servants. These servants don't even like the decision that Nabal's making. If it was their decision, they'd be giving provision to David. David's gonna kill innocent men. This shows us how far we can go in our anger. 
David's not thinking rationally. He's not thinking biblically. He's not thinking prayerfully. He's just overcome in anger. anger, And that's the same in my life. When I get overcome in anger, I'm not thinking. I'm not responding correctly and appropriately. Verse 23. Now when Abigail saw David, she dismounted quickly from the donkey, fell on her face before David, and bowed down to the ground. Shows humility and desperation. The desperation of the moment. She fell at his feet and said... On me, my Lord, on me, let this iniquity be. And please let your maidservant speak in your ears and hear the words of your maidservant. She's saying, you know what? Allow the fault to fall on me. Amazing, especially the condition of Nabal. Who does this remind you of? Jesus. Jesus said, Eric is a real fool. He's a real Nabal and let his iniquity be upon me. That's the gospel. That's the good news. Jesus died for our sin. David, David is, let me start over. Could I buy a vowel? Anybody got a vowel? (laughs) Abigail is in that place where she's willing to take the consequences for Nabal's sin. Verse 25, please let not my Lord regard this scoundrel Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name and folly is with him. But I'm your maidservant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. I like that Abigail speaks the truth about her husband. She says, you know what? He is a real fool, just as his name implies. Why? Because I think it would have been a difficult sell with David if she would have tried to sugarcoat this. Say, Nabal's really a good guy. He was just having a bad day. He didn't get a lot of sleep last night. Give him another chance. She's like, nope, this guy really is a fool. He, he is a scoundrel, but I wasn't aware of the decisions that he's making. Now, therefore, my Lord, as the Lord lives, as your soul lives, since the Lord has held you back from coming to bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hand, now then let your enemies and those who speak harm for my Lord be as Nabal. Abigail's points as she's bringing truth, as she is a lady of wisdom, she says, don't avenge yourself, David. The Lord, the Lord has prevented you from avenging yourself. Don't shed innocent blood. Don't don't go and do this. Don't allow innocent blood to come on your hand and don't do anything that you will regret. And she begins to present this truth to David. And now this present which you're, and now this present which you which your maidservant has brought to my Lord, let it be given to the young men who follow my Lord. A peace offering never hurts. Never hurts in these types of situations. Can we get a cup of coffee? Here's a bacon cheeseburger. Here's some flowers. Husbands, bring a peace offering. It's appropriate at times. Verse 28, please forgive these trespasses of your maidservant, for the Lord will certainly make for my Lord an enduring house because my Lord fights the battles of the Lord, and evil is not found in you throughout your days. There's a lot of use of the word Lord in Abigail's speech, isn't there? She's referring to David as a Lord, saying, I'm honoring your position, but then even more so, she's referring to the Lord, to God. And she's saying, God is the one who will build your house. God is the one who will fight your battle. So let God deal with Nabal. She's trying to talk David down and talk him out of this act of violence. Verse 29, yet a man has risen to pursue you and seek your life. 
but the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living with the Lord your God. And the lives of your enemies he shall sling out as from the pocket of a sling. Abigail knows who she's speaking to. She knows David's story, his history. And she says, there is a man who's pursuing your life. Who's that man? Saul. It was known throughout Israel that Saul was trying to do this. She brings that up and says, God has protected you. Remember how you've responded with Saul. But then she uses this illustration. This is clever. She says, God is going to sling out your enemies as from the pocket of a sling. This would bring David back to who? Goliath. He knew well the sling. He knew the victory that God had brought. And what she's reminding David of is look at God's faithfulness in your life. Look at how God is taking care of Saul. Look at how God took care of Goliath. God will take care of Nabal as well. We need to be reminded of our history. We need to be reminded of God's faithfulness in our lives. Maybe you're all hot this morning. You're angry. You're fired up. You're ready to get revenge. Remember your history. Remember how God's been faithful to you. Remember how God brought you to Christ. Maybe you're upset with the Nabal in your life. Remember some of your own foolishness. Remember my own, own foolishness. God's been faithful. In verse 30, and it shall come to pass when the Lord has done for my Lord according to all the good that he's spoken concerning you and has appointed you ruler over Israel, that this will be no grief to you, nor offense of heart to my Lord, either that you have shed blood without cause or that my Lord has avenged himself. But when the Lord has dealt with my Lord, then remember your maidservant. Abigail says, David, keep the big picture in mind. When you're king, this is going to be no grief to you that Nabal didn't provide this provision for you. That's so wise and that's so true. Whatever we're upset about, what is that going to be in light of eternity? Get really upset in traffic because someone cut you off? What's that in light of eternity? It's no big deal. It's no big thing. This boss that's so difficult to deal with, this fellow employee that breaks your heart, that treats you in such a foolish way. Well, what's that in light of, of, of eternity? Maybe you have difficulty with a neighbor. Well, what's that in, in light of eternity? Keep, keep the big picture in mind. It's no, no grief to you. And let's be honest, a lot of the things that we get upset about are even smaller than that. Maybe you're really fired up about the toothpaste. You know, when is your spouse going to figure out how to appropriately get the toothpaste out of the tube? Fired up about the toilet paper, you know? Don't you know that the roll goes this way? You've got that roommate that just, just drives you nuts. A lot of the things that really frustrate us and make us angry are exactly what Abigail is saying. This is no big thing. This is no, no grief to you. I, I want you to just say this. It's no big thing, okay? In the count of three, turn to the next person and say it like you mean. It's no big thing. Go for it. One, two, three. Now, now say it like you mean it and everybody participate. I know some of you are just too cool to participate this morning, but just say, it's no big thing. Say it like you mean it. It's no big thing. <laughs> Man, some of you just got delivered this morning, you know? I've been looking at you. You're angry. Like you're angry at everybody. You're just like, staring me down this morning, you know? And you're, <laughs> you're free. It's no big thing. God's got it in control. We need to hear that. We need to remember the, the big picture. In verse 32, then David said to Abigail, blessed is the Lord God of Israel who sent you this day to meet me. Number three, receive correction and instruction. You want to avoid catastrophe is receive correction and instruction. 
David doesn't know Abigail. She doesn't have equity in his life. There's not any reason that David would necessarily trust her, but he has the humility to listen. David doesn't argue. David doesn't play this defensive card. Well, you know, and going back and forth, he just stops. He listens. He goes, this is the truth. This is the messenger from the Lord. God sent this messenger to me. We need to stop and be able to listen, especially when we're in the midst of the emotions of anger and the reality of anger. The greatest messenger that God is going to send us is gonna be the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us, and the Holy Spirit's gonna speak to us and say, Eric, don't, don't. You're about to blow it. You're about ready to get angry. You're, you're about ready to say things that you regret. Stop, stop right there. And man, I've had times where the Holy Spirit was so strong saying, you better just stop. Don't, don't go there, don't say it. And I have intentionally said, no, I gotta say this. This is so important for me to say this. I'm moving forward with this. And every time I've regretted it. Every time I've said things that I, I shouldn't have said and needed to get right with the Lord and the person that I, I said those things to we got to stop and listen to the Holy Spirit. Sometimes that still, small voice of the Holy Spirit is going to be so loud and so strong because God loves us and says, stop. You're about ready to make a huge, huge mistake. God's also going to speak to us through his word. There'll be times where his word will be on our hearts and our minds. Where did that come from? I don't even necessarily remember that verse. I don't know where it is in my Bible. That's God speaking his message to you. Sometimes he will send... A person, he'll send an Abigail to you. A lot of times it's going to be within your own family. Those that are in closest proximity to you. Your spouse, your kids, if you're single, your parents, your brothers, your sisters, your roommates. Because they know you, they love you, and they say, look, you're about ready to do something that's against God's heart that you're really going to regret. Well, you're so judgmental. Why would, you don't know. And we start to argue and be defensive. And if we'll stop and receive correction, we'll receive instruction, we'll be spared from pain in our lives. Again, this is a theme of Proverbs. Proverbs 15.5 says, A fool despises his father's instruction, but he who receives correction is prudent. That's David. He's receiving correction. Proverbs 8.33 says, Hear instruction and be wise and do not disdain it. Don't, don't disdain it. Hear it. Give instruction to a wise man and he'll be wiser still. Teach a just man and he will increase in learning. Are you the type of person that can hear instruction? If we were on a path to sin and God sent us an Abigail, would we stop and listen to them? Verse 33, and blessed is your advice and blessed are you because you have kept me this day from coming to bloodshed and from avenging myself with my own hand. Not only does David receive it, but he appreciates Abigail for it. For indeed, as the Lord lives, as the Lord God of Israel lives, who has kept me back from hurting you, unless you have hurried and come to meet me, surely by morning light no males would have been left to Abigail. Praise God for Abigail. He's like, man, I was so close. What, what are the sentiment that David's saying? He's going, Whew, that was a really, really close call. God, thank you for sending Abigail. Deborah, like Esther, before her, she alters the course of history simply by being obedient to the Lord. There's power in being obedient to the Lord. So David received from her what she had brought him and said to her, go up in peace to your house. See, I have heeded your voice and respected your person. Abigail, 
I've received the gift. Thank you for the truth you've spoke. Now you can go back to your house. Now Abigail went to Nabal, and there he was holding a feast in his house like the feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was merry within him, for he was very drunk. Therefore, she told him nothing, little or much, until the morning light. Nabal's completely oblivious to what's going on. He's he's drunk, and she chooses that this is not a good time to share these events with my husband. Another great sign of wisdom. You can write this down, too. It's not a good time to share truth with someone when they're extremely drunk. Amen? You know, it's like... This is going to go nowhere. I'm not doing this. I'll wait till the morning. Verse 37. So it was in the morning when the wine had gone from Nabal and his wife had told him these things that his heart died within him and he became like a stone. He became like a stone. As I was reading this, I was so impressed with Abigail that she went and told her husband Nabal the truth once the alcohol was out of his system. How easy it would have been For Abigail, we can completely understand it. Well, Nabal doesn't even need to know. He's oblivious to this. I'm not even going to tell him what happened with with David. If I tell him, he's just going to be angry. But she knows that he's got to see the result of his decisions. Got to see the consequences of his choices. She's not doing it to be vindictive. She's not angry, but he needs to know the truth. So she shares it with him. When he hears the truth... God strikes him, it appears that he has a heart attack. His, his heart stops and his whole being, he becomes like a, a stone, going into a coma-like state. And we see what happens in verse 38. Then it happened after about 10 days that the Lord struck Nabal and he died. So God lets him be in this stone-like state. It's not talking about the condition of his heart spiritually, but his whole entire being is, is like a stone. He's frozen up, then God strikes him dead. God's able to deal with the Nabal in your life. God will deal it with it in his timing. And David hears of this, and this is his response. Now when David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, blessed be the Lord who has pleaded the case of my reproach from the hand of Nabal and has kept his servant from evil. Now the Lord has returned the wickedness of Nabal on his own head. And David sent and proposed to Abigail to take her as his wife. Because David chose not to take matters in his own hands, he saw how God intervened with his hand. If I take matters into my own hands, if I get angry, if I get vengeful, if I deal with this situation without waiting upon the Lord, then I'm never going to see the solution that God had. God saw this wickedness with Nabal, and God was going to deal with it, and David got to experience that. Now that Nabal's dead, David goes and he proposes to Abigail. This is how he does it in verse 40. When the servants of David had come to Abigail at Carmel, they spoke to her, saying, David sent to us, to you, to ask you to become his wife. Now, ladies, do you have a pretty bad proposal? You look back and you go, you know, the way my husband proposed to me, it just wasn't very romantic. It wasn't very thought through. Maybe it was one of those, well, we've been dating for a while. We better just do this, you know, type of thing. And You could look back and go, yeah, he could have done a little bit better job on the proposal. Well, it was a lot better than David. All David did is send a messenger. You know, let's go send a message, tell Abigail I'd like to marry her, and well, let's see what the the response uh, would be. So verse 41, then she arose, bowed her face to the earth, and said, here is your maidservant, a servant to wash the feet of the servants of my Lord. So Abigail rose in haste, rode on the donkey, attended by five of her maidens, 
and she followed the messengers of David and became his wife. What a turnaround for Abigail. At the beginning of the chapter, she's married to a harsh, evil fool, but she maintains a relationship with the Lord. She maintains walking in wisdom. God deals with Nabal, and she finds herself married to David, a great improvement from being married to Nabal. I think there's a lesson here for us in this, and it's this. It's the last one this morning. Is deliverance ultimately comes from Jesus, the greater than David. He is the ultimate one who brings deliverance in our lives. And you say, well, you know what? I'm linked to Nabal. I'm married to Nabal. I had no idea that they would have this kind of character when I married them. I'm linked to this fool as a boss. I can't get away from them. I can't find another job. God has me sewed in to them. You be faithful. You keep walking with the Lord. You be a person of integrity. And ultimately, Jesus will bring deliverance probably in eternity. Probably in eternity. You will not be married to that person in eternity. You go, well, man, a lifetime's a long time, not compared to eternity. Think of eternity past and eternity future. You've just got a short little stint with Nabal, and you be faithful to the Lord, because eventually you'll be married to Christ. As the church, we are the bride of Christ. Eternity is very, very real, and in light of eternity, our little bit of time with Nabal is very short. So David and Abigail are married in verse 43 and 44. David also took a high nomi of Jezreel, and so both of them were his wives. But Saul had given Michael, his daughter, David's wife, to Paltai, the son of Laish, who was from Galman. So David's wife, Michael, Saul's daughter, was given to another man. So he marries Abigail, but he also marries a high nomi, which is polygamy, which is in God's heart. God is one man with one woman for life. Every time we see polygamy in the scripture, it doesn't go well. If you're thinking about having multiple spouses, you know, you want to practice polygamy, just ask yourself if you want the family life of David. David's family life was very complicated and difficult. I don't think any of us would want the family life that he had. But I don't think a lot of you are struggling with polygamy. You know, if, if that's something you're considering, please call the church office this week. We'd love to talk with you. <laughs> a really, really close call. What prevented this really close call? David listened to instruction and correction, and Abigail was willing to give it. So here's the application. Be willing to receive it, and also be willing to share it when it's needed. Let's stand together and let's pray. Father, this is so applicable for us. It's so easy for us to be in the place that David is in and we're not seeing things clearly and we just ask by the power of the Holy Spirit that we would listen to instruction and correction. When it comes from you, Holy Spirit, that we would listen and respond. When it comes from your word, that we would respond. When it comes from others who love us, that we would take that to heart. Help us to be like Abigail. Help us to walk in integrity no matter what, no matter who's around us. May we share that wisdom when it's necessary. So God, would you bring fruit from your word? Would you cause us to be planted deep in our lives, may find fertile soil? We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're